This is Fab Radio International. It's Sunday, probably, so you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com. Probably. Probably, but you're definitely listening to The Bookworm. It's uh, in association with Starburst Magazine. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Name for Hayes. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Mixcloud, Raven, Telepathic Message, all the rest of it as a Radio Bookworm. Just uh, put Radio Bookworm in in your social media device. You'll be able to find this, I'm sure. What's coming up in today's show? Well, I'm going to be reviewing Angel. Sorry, Angels of Heaven, The Ghosts of Heaven by <laughs> Marcus Cedric, um, which is out in October. Um, it's a young novel, and it's um, it's all about spirals and weirdness. Uh, yourself? Uh, I'm going to be reviewing I Am Number Four by Pitocus Lore, and it's a young adult-ish. Sci-fi-ish. So it's young adult sci-fi is the theme. We're also talking to a young adult author, Jonathan Stroud, who's all about the spooky, and we'll be uh, talking about talking to him roughly in the middle of the show. But uh, coming up new next, book news. So in the exciting world of books, um, we have all sorts of book news. Shall we start with Superman? Yes, Yay. let's start with Superman. So Superman is worth £3.2 million now. At least the first edition of the Superman comic book is worth $3.2 million. Even. Yeah, I was going to say, pound or dollars. It's um, $1.9 million, you know. It's $1.9 million. million pounds. Pounds. Um, oh man, we, we don't make investment bankers, do we? $3.2 million, £1.9 million to those of you paying attention. Um, the comic book is in pristine condition because it was essentially in a cedar chest in the mountains doing nothing for a very long time which in itself is ridiculous and then essentially someone picked it up and you know when they auction off the estate of someone dies in the auction off the estate uh, it got it got assessed um by the certified guarantee company and they were like gosh and it, it, the pages are still white it's it, it's almost as if you've just. You it's know, like it's like one of those you know treasure hunting stories where you know you open the chest and there's the treasure and what is the treasure? First edition of Superman comic. Well, Darren Adams has been looking after it for a number of years and he's the guy who runs Pristine Comics and they pretty much specialise in Pristine Comics mm-hmm. and then he put it on eBay. And <laughs> My goodness, he, he did it deliberately on eBay rather than, say, Christie's or Sotheby's or anything mm. like that because he wanted the audience. He wanted yeah, to, see to basically have access wow. to it, uh, which is a good thing, I think. It's, yeah. it, there's only one other of that level of, essentially, it's a 9 out of 10. You can't get 10 out of 10 without a time machine. It's short yeah, version. 10 out of 10 is it's just been printed. So, uh, nine, 9 out of 10 in quality. The only other version is the one that used to belong to Nicolas Cage and then got stolen from Nicolas Cage's <sighs> house. Uh, was found in someone's sock drawer, I seem to recall. It was, it was found like in a pile of laundry, sort of a thing, but still, still fine because it was. Was a, it given back to Nicholas Cage? It, well, it was sold on an auction, so I wasn't actually able to find out what happened there. I think because he'd already claimed on the insurance, yeah, or something along those lines. It had gone oh gone into the hands of whomever the oh insurance company, presumably, the insurance company who then auctioned it off again. So, but these, these these things are. So, do we it, think he's bought this one? Well, it hasn't said who's got it, and I'm not sure who has it. Um, they very often don't say in these really high priced. No, auctions, because though, do you they? know you don't want someone to go and get it and, and then put it in their Nicholas Cage's house. Yeah, in their sock drawer. He, he used to have it in like Pride and Place in his house. <gasps> he used to be able to walk past it. Oh. He used to just be in a glass a glass container 
with you know I think the Flash number one or that 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 one of the Flash where uh, Garrett and um, the original Flash are both running in the time. You, know, if you know what I'm talking about, you know the iconic. But the problem is because he's a Hollywood celebrity, there'll be like Hollywood celebrity house tour things that go past his front door because somebody will have figured out where he lives. Mm-hmm. Well, this happened at a party. He lost oh. his. He, he lost. There was a party going on, and it. Uh, Superman number one, I think the the first appearance of the Flash, and I think it was a Fantastic Four as well. Just all just walked out. Um, wow! And you know, Nicolas Cage is a massive Superman fan. Uh, his son's called Kal El. Oh. You know, he's that much of an you'd, obsessive. You'd, you'd never have a party again, would you? I was just thinking that. I was thinking, screw this for Game of Soldiers. You ain't coming into my house ever again. I, I wouldn't. Weirdly, I don't want. I wouldn't want Superman number one, Action Comics number one, in my house. Oh. I just even even if I was that rich. Even if I had that sort of money, I wouldn't want it. You, you know what I'm like? I've, I've, I have had in the past books worth a couple of hundred pounds. Um, I've had books that are worth quite a bit of money. And I've gotten them out of the house as quickly as I can. Because as, soon as, as far as I'm concerned, as soon as a book stops being useful as a book and starts becoming you know, a, a block of gold, essentially. It's what it is. It's a block of gold. It starts becoming a block of gold. I'll have the money, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you're like, but surely I do want to protect it. No, I'm not qualified to protect or look after, you know, a work of art. I really am not. Uh, I'm, I'm a klutz. So I'll give it to someone who's willing to spend that much money. Um, the Kitchies, moving on to more news rather than going, oh, money. Um, the Kitchies have introduced a new, new award. Um, now, the Kitchies are a London-based um, award ceremony. They give. They give awards out for for strange things. Essentially, they they go progressive, intelligent, and entertaining fiction. So, China Melville, yeah, he would win a kitchy, um, that sort of thing. Anything that's a bit interesting, a bit off. Mostly, it's genre, but a bit off the books and a bit imaginative and brand new, and kind of stunning. They they go for, they love. So, what they've done is they've teamed up with Fall in London, who do an interactive narrative game. Uh, called Fallen London, and they've launched the Invisible Tentacle Award. This this sounds like it's one of those April Fools things. It really <laughs> does. They haven't said what the Invisible Tentacle Award's going to look like. Well, presumably, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's a, it's a see-through. Tentacle. It's going to be see-through. Isn't it's going it? yeah. to be a clear well, one. Yeah. Well, the, the other ones they have are the Golden Tentacle, which is for debut work, the Black Tentacle, which is for outstanding uh, individuals. The last person to win that was Mallory Blackman. Um, the uh, Red Tentacle, which is for essentially best novel, but they don't say best, they say novel that fits the criteria, and the Inky Tentacle, which is for best cover. Um, because they, they, don't go, they don't go best novel, they go one that's most, uh, most innovative, 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 intelligent, progressive, and entertaining, uh, which is, you know, a good definition of best, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so the Invisible Tentacle is going to be for natively digital books. So those that were conceived as as e-books in, in, in their origin. Or, or in browser games yeah. or iPhone apps. Yeah. So, for example, Tim Man Games' Appointment of Fear probably wouldn't qualify because it was originally a book. Mm. So Fall of London itself would have counted under this, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes, yes yeah. But Which makes sense why yeah, yeah. they would have yeah, teamed yeah, yeah, up yeah, with yeah, it, yeah. yeah. But Tin Man Games, um, Strange Loves, the uh, the Vampire Diaries style interactive ones they did, that would count. Uh, and given the fact that was a massive parody of Twilight, which mm. I really loved, actually, I really liked them. It was the fact that you could you could do the whole Twilight thing and then go, surprise, I'm Buffy, Spork. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, I quite like that. I quite like the idea of, of vampire slayers with sporks. Yes, <laughs> wooden spork. spork. Yeah, I could just oh, spork them through I, the heart. I can sport you through the heart and then I can eat this pasta salad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, the Kitchies um, oh, sounds like a lovely award. It's sponsored by Kraken Rum, apparently. Mm-hmm. So, hence the tentacles. Um, how do we get an invite to the Kitchies? How do we get an invite to the Kitchies? I think we, we beg. Have, Start begging. I think I think we have to just write a really, really good book and get invited. I think that's how it works. <gasps> okay, I can do that. Moving on Moving to the next on. story. Uh, book industry chiefs take the plunge for the ice bucket challenge. Let's quickly go over the best book. In, in case you've been dead or asleep or don't know what the internet is, um, there is a thing that essentially, in order to raise, it was a, a meme, like Gangnam Style and all this sort of nonsense. And then someone went, why don't we monetize this one for charity? Which is 
you know allowed it to to continue longer than maybe it would have normally. Um, essentially, people nominate you to pour a bucket of water over your head. Um, you make a donation. People make donations because they're entertained by you throwing icy water on top of you. Um, and it's it it was originally for the ALS. Um, and, and people are, people have gone well. Actually, I, I I want to do this charity or that charity. I want to which do which is absolutely aid. great. It's you know it's essentially someone has 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 hitched charity to the silly internet meme of the year, which is fine. Um, I know some people are like, oh, I don't like this charity. Oh, I don't like that. Fine, your, your personal politics shouldn't come into stopping other people from having fun. Anywho, Neil Gaiman's done one. Neil Gaiman did a fantastic one. Yes. Yeah, where he was wandering, wandering along a beach with various incarnations of death taking his clothes off, uh, which was interesting. Um, Amanda, George, Amanda Palmer's probably more emotional than most people were expecting. Yes, because yeah. she's got a connection to ALS. Yeah. Uh, George Orwell Martin um, screamed like a girl. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Not he that did. there's anything wrong it with screaming like a girl, but, you know, obviously girls have a higher pitch and he's a very large <laughs> man. So we were very surprised that the man who's so large and so deep of voice screamed so high. <laughs> it, it was quite fun. Um, other, other people involved in the big industry. Um, the, the CEO of Paragon, CEO of Hinkler Books, um, the digital media people involved in Waterstones, um, the, the, everyone involved in the book industry has gotten in on this. It's ran through the, the cold, cold buckets of water have been poured upon publishing types all across the world. So, so well done you. Uh, moving on further, uh, Random Penguin is doing quite well. Um, they that would be Penguin Random House. That would be Penguin Random House. No, uh, Random Penguin. In Brack. Don't put in Brack. In the alternative. Um, if, you're not new, if you're new to the show, that means nothing to you. But anyway, Random Penguin um, have generated profits of 1.5 billion. That's 1.2 billion in proper money. Uh, mm-hmm. 1.5 billion euros. That's hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Hang how is 3.2 million dollars the equivalent of 1.9 million? But 1.5 billion is the equivalent of 1.2 billion. It's that's euros. bad maths. 1.5 billion euros. Ah, okay. Because we're talking about the, the European economy. Um, so, yes, they've made shed loads of money. Um, stuff like the Fault in Our Stars has not hurt it at all. The Fault in the Stars sold 5.7 million copies. Wow. Is that an, it's one of theirs, is it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Dang, do they publish all the John Green stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, They're not short. He's not short for the odd bob or two, is he? Well, he's, he's not short of ideas. How many books has he written now? Must be nine or something? Nine, nine or ten? So, yeah. yeah, maybe more. Um... So if you don't know who John Green is, type of blog brothers into your, your search engine of choice and you can see him do very, very silly things. Um, but yes, um, they're doing extremely well, uh, despite the fact that they've got a brand new silly name, which is Penguin Random House. It should be Random Penguin, obviously. Um, <laughs> Yay, Random Penguin. But but Penguin but Random House are healthy. The reason this is news is because people are always going, oh, the book industry, oh, the book industry, oh, the publishing industry. Oh, it's a dead media. No, it's not. Grow up. Um, <laughs> that's that debate done then apparently <laughs> people are always going to want stories and they're always going to want to read stories um, until you can download them directly into your brain uh, currently the no. system currently the system we have for downloading stuff directly into your brain is called reading mm. um, and Bloomsbury have updated the Harry Potter website apparently it's not to compete with Pottermore uh, 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 yeah but most interestingly about this you can buy the books directly from the website and this is a thing that publishers are starting to get onto the direct purchasing of books from their own website which i think two or three years ago barely happened at all other than with fairly small press publishers and is now getting up to the big guys at the top because i think they've now realized that actually far from what they were told that selling books as well was a horribly you know logistical nightmare Actually, it's not that difficult at all. Not really, no. Especially in the modern day, no. It's not a problem at all. Mm. Uh, the the small to medium publishers have been doing it for years. Um, and to be honest, it cuts out Amazon. Um, we're not going to talk about Amazon versus Shetty because... Everybody has retreated to their corners. Yeah. We're, having, we're having a water break. They've, I, I like to think they've been sent to their room to think about what they've done. <laughs> but I don't think that's actually what's happened. Um, coming up next, The Ghosts of Heaven by Marcus Sedgwick. So I've been very lucky enough to get my hands on The Ghosts of Heaven, which is the latest book by Marcus Sedgwick. Um, Previous books 
that he's written that you may have heard of include Floodland, The Foreshadowing, Midwinter Blood, which I absolutely adored. It's The Wonder of the Bunnies. Um, not a happy book. Um, he writes, Marcus Sedgwick writes very strange fiction and he sort of targets a young, younger audience but not necessarily a young adult audience. Um, the stranger sort of teenager and the odder sort of adult. So, what's it about? Well, it's about 400 pages long. Um, <laughs> it's about four novellas. So what we have, and he says at the start that he, what he's trying to build is he's trying to build a series of spirals. So if you think about the way you build a st- spiral mathematically, oh God, here comes the geometry. You get right angles, points in, intersect, and then you draw a spiral, and then that spiral then is magnified, magnified, and so on. So what he's done with his book is he's created four stories that can be used as the four lines to construct a geometric shape and there are common themes that run across each of the four stories that can be seen as geometric lines. Or to put it another way, he's being really clever and he's telling you how clever he is as he's doing it. This is not, however, a a negative criticism of the book. It's a story about self-repeating patterns patterns it's a story about self-repeating ideas um but what is actually the story well the first he presents the four novellas in a sequential order but he does encourage you to dive in at any given point and you know to find your own sequence if you want now i've read i've read through this twice now uh, just to see if that's true and yes it is but obviously you only get to be read the book the first time once so I went for the vanilla route, and I'd be interested to hear from anyone else who tried it any other way. So the first story is about a cave lady. It's the best way to describe her. She is a cave lady. Um, she is of red of hair, and um, she is seemingly incapable of having children. Um, and she's quite young as well. Um, and her tribe basically run around. They eat deer. They, they have quite a nice life. And the secrets and the mysteries are held by a wise old man who lives in a cave. Um, Without spoiling things terribly, she discovers some secrets and mysteries that are perhaps quite terrible for her own society and for her own future. Um, And like anyone in that period, she lives just long enough, shall we say. So it's quite a dark little tale um, of mystery and of learning and of magic. So then we move on to the next story, which is, it's a bit like The Crucible, it's a short version. It's a nice, it's not nice, it's an interesting little tale of a of a village, somewhere in the United Kingdom. Um, and she is good, uh, there's a woman called Anna there, she lives in a cottage, her mother lived in a cottage. She's quite good with herbs, she's quite good with midwifery. She's the local wise woman, and the local the local Christian priest hasn't really been paying much attention to his flock, pretty much. So when when her mother dies, it's sort of assumed by the community who are selfish that the that she's going to pick up that role. Now she can make money other ways, and she can get on with her life in other ways, and she has several disadvantages. She's a woman in a society that is very patriarchal. Um, there is a new priest turning up. She's caught the attention of the young older lord. And, yeah, some people hate her because of her mother and because of her eerie powers. And some people are just awful. Um, you can kind of predict where this is going. It's, again, one of, the, one of the common things here is you can yet again predict that the flaws um, in, in the storytelling and in the story... We know where the story is going. We know that this woman's going to be accused of witchcraft. We know that there is a, a priest who is looking to make his mark. We, we, we know all the various elements. And then we move on to um, a, a story about a crazy, crazy poet who slowly but surely is driven insane by his own perception of fiction and also the perception of repeating, uh, you know, of, of repeating patterns and repeating realities. Um, he, it, again... Mark Sedgwick changes his writing style slightly to, to fit a kind of more of a, 
1920s kind of eerie horror story. It's almost it's almost um, George Orwell esque. The third story. It's kind of like mm. you know, it's quite quite a monologue. And then finally, we get to a futuristic story uh, of Kia Bowman, who is a man who desperately, desperately wants to go into space and desperately, desperately shouldn't. Um, and things don't go terribly well. So, the ghosts of heaven. What's it about then? Well, it's about stories. And it's about repeating patterns. It's terribly, terribly clever. It looks terribly clever. I mean, I was reading the back cover just to get a, an idea of what the stories were um, about. And you don't really get a feel for what the stories is about. However, strangely, you get a feel for what the book in its entirety is about which as you say it's just these repeating patterns and and how you know no matter where you are or 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 who you are uh, there are certain things in life that seem to be almost unescapable it very much and this is a fantastic book if you're in a contemplative mood and you are very keen to exercise your brain if you want to explore literature pretty much you'll love it did i enjoy it I felt I should. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't enjoy it as much as I, I wanted to. I really wanted to like it, but because the nature of the stories are repeating patterns, you can kind of tell what's going to happen towards the end. Mm. And, it's, mm. and, and because there's all tropes, and because you've worked so hard, because it is hard work as well, despite the fact it's very accessible and it's very readable, you, you kind of feel that you have to try and absorb it all in and take it all in and understand each nuance. Uh, and even though he tries to make the structure as easy as possible to accept, once you get into that structure, as you ramp through it, you kind of... Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately... Didn't quite love it. Didn't love it. Like it. It's, you know, it's definitely, definitely one to add to your list if you're trying to level up and expand your reading world. If you love work like movies like The Fountain, you'll absolutely adore it. Um, if you saw the fountain and you went, what on earth is that about? Um, or Requiem for a Dream and you were like, what on earth is that about? Hmm. Then maybe this is not for you. But if you you know, if you know, like the clever and you also like good storytelling, pick it up, I think. It's out um, on Indigo. That's Orion Books. Uh, uh, from the 2nd of October onwards. Fantastic. So that was um, The Ghosts of Heaven by Marcus Sedgwick. Pick it up. Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Fat Radio International. So, coming up next, I caught up with the lovely Jonathan Stroud, and uh, let's get straight into it, shall we? Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. Jonathan Stroud, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be with you. What can you tell us about Lockwood and Co? Well, um, Lockwood and Co is my uh, new fantasy series that I've um, started last year, and. Um, uh, the first one, The Screaming Staircase, came out then, and I've got the sequel, The Whispering Skull, which is uh, coming out this um, this September in the UK and the, uh, the US. Um, it's a paranormal um, fantasy adventure series, young adult. Uh, it's concerning uh, three heroes, Lockwood, Lucy and George, who live in, uh, in an alternative London which has an epidemic of ghosts. And uh, the basic premise is that the adults can't see the ghosts, um, the ghosts are pretty dangerous, and this means it's the kids who have to go out there uh, with their iron rapiers and um, chains and salt bombs and other paraphernalia uh, to deal with these um, unpleasant spectres. Um, and it's the start of a new a new series. We should be about uh, four or five in the series, hopefully, uh, by the time I've um, by the time I've finished. How different is this new book from the Bartimaeus series? Well, the Bartimaeus series, um, which I did about uh, 10 years ago, I guess I started it, it's, um, uh, was um, very much um, sort of high fantasy with um, uh, the, the quirky component of, um, of Bartimaeus himself, who is a uh, sarcastic 5,000-year-old genie 
who's been summoned by magicians since the dawn of time, very annoyed about it. Um, he tells the story. He's kind of the hero. Um, he's a sort of anti-hero, I guess. Um, he has a very distinctive voice um, with lots of uh, footnotes at the bottom of the page because he feels far more intelligent than um, any of the readers who might be uh, who might be um, reading the story. Um, and um, you see it largely through through his eyes, and he, he's he's really quite a sort of dominant a dominant presence. Um, but the that that adventure has got lots of magicians um, and high fantasy, and and Bartimaeus kind of undercuts that really. I was interested with this series uh, to go into the whole. Um, uh, the whole paranormal ghost story uh, genre. Um, I mean, I've always loved ghost stories. Um, I like um, adventure, the, the great sort of British adventure tradition, that starting with um, Conan Doyle and uh, Robert Louis Stevenson. I like all those great ghost stories of people like M.R. James. Um, and I'm trying to um, bring those in, but again, try and do something slightly uh, different with it and undercut it um, in in uh, in in certain ways, and so there's plenty of humour as well as hopefully a lot of scares. Why do we love spooky stories so much? Somewhere that um, uh, there are more ghost stories um, told about sort of locations in England and possibly in Britain than anywhere else in Europe. So I think there is a quite a uh, a strong uh, streak in uh, the British makeup uh, that enjoys. Uh, playing around with um, with the past and with with um, ideas of place, and I think that links in actually to um, the British um, a tradition. Uh, we're also very good at, um, at uh, children's literature, which is also to do with 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 a nostalgia for what has been, and it's very closely linked into um, to, to place again. Um, so it, uh, I, I quite like the fact that I'm um, I'm playing around with. Uh, with ghost stories uh, within a kind of children's um, uh, literature uh, context. I, th I think um, if you go back to people like Conan Doyle, they, they fundamentally wrote um, uh, adventure stories, um, but they were also deeply interested in Gothic um, uh, adventures. And you, you, you have Sherlock Holmes, who uh, has adventures like the, uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles and the Adventure of the Sussex Vampire. And even though Holmes is an arch-rationalist, he's, he's constantly kind of pushing up against... Um, uh, superstition and and folklore, and obviously uh, Conan Doyle himself was um, hugely interested in in the occult and and, and in uh, spiritualism and stuff. So you you've got this kind of weird mix of of rationalism and um, uh, and, and fantasy and, and and the paranormal. Um, they've always been kind of hand um, hand in hand in in, in the sort of British tradition, um, and I, I'm just happy to uh, hopefully continue it in a small way. What challenges do you face when writing for a young adult audience? That's an interesting question. I, I don't think there's fundamentally any difference at all between writing, um, uh, inverted commas, an adult novel uh, and, inverted commas, a, um, a children's novel. I mean, I, my books have always been... Uh, seen as crossover, you know, it's 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 kind of young adult, and and that means it kind of bleeds in both in both directions. Um, and if you analyse fantasy generally, and I, I I don't know whether you you agree, but I think um, a lot of a lot of fantasy um, certainly is is very approachable to quite young readers. It's one of those one of those genres which you can launch into uh, when you're quite young. Certainly, when I was you know about ten, I was reading the Lord of the Rings, and then. For, for the next sort of four or five years, I read pretty much nothing but um, various sort of monster fantasies of one sort or another, and it was a it was a kind of um, uh, an area of adult fiction that I could I could get into and really enjoy uh, when I was at a very young age. And, and conversely, I think it's possible to um, to write stuff now which uh, is uh, enjoyable for me um, as a as a grizzled adult, but also would have been. Um, you know, I, I know I would have enjoyed it when I was 12. So w w whatever I try and write now, I'm I'm doing it with those two uh, different um, uh, hats on. You know, I'm, I'm trying to talk to both audiences at once. And if you play your cards right, you can therefore get a very broad audience indeed. You're best known for writing spooky stories. Where does the fascination with the supernatural come from? Well, I suppose my my fascination with the supernatural comes it, it's part of my 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 fascination with with the fantastic and with magical magical things i think when i was a kid i 
um, I went through a phase where I was in hospital and I was kind of quite laid up and I didn't really do very much um, uh, uh, action um, myself. And I, I was quite an active kid, so I was quite frustrated. And I used to get a lot of release um, and escape, um, escapism from reading stories with, um, with magical um, elements. So that's what I gravitated to um, naturally. And I think it's, it's, it's really just a con uh, continuation uh, of that. I, I like exploring um, real things, real emotions, real um, uh, bringing characters who have, have quite a lot of realistic um, uh, elements to them and putting them in um, situations which are fundamentally a bit weird. And often, uh, as with, with Lockwood, um, uh, I, I just decide to change one little thing. I, I'll say we've got, we've got London, it's, it's the same London we, we all know, we've got an epidemic of ghosts, um, that's that's the, that's the one thing that's changed. And what what are the consequences of that? What happens if you've had that for fifty years? How does society alter? What happens if the, it's the kids who have to go out there and be on the front line against the um, the ghosts, and the adults are kind of there at the background? Every, everything sort of slightly alters, and it's really good fun to try and figure out um, the wider uh, sort of connotations, while at the same time um, having a, um, a bloody good adventure story. What's your greatest source of inspiration? Wow. Um, greatest source of inspiration? Um, huh. Uh, I suppose um, on a literary level, um, at different times, different writers have, 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 have thrilled me. They tended to be um, fantasy writers as I was growing up. So uh, when I was uh, you know, about 10, I think um, Tolkien was my, was my god. Um, after that, I um, I sort of broadened out into people like you know, David Eddings and Raymond E. Feast and uh, Fritz Leiber. Um, actually, funnily enough, a lot of those writers I don't I don't read so much anymore. But I like um, one that I still like is Jack Vance, who died um, last year, I think, and I, I still rate him because I think I, I enjoy the style that he he wrote in. He brought a lot of humour into his uh, into his fantasies. Um, so there've been there've been a major number of um, fantasy writers that have that have uh, uh, have, have turned me on over the years. Um, in terms of as, as in my, my life, I suppose I had great teachers who um, who got me writing. Uh, one of them was a guy called Bill Bowen who got me standing up in front of the class when I was ten, um, and um, in fact, you know, in front of the whole school, I think, and they got me to read out one of my stories um, and kind of gave me the confidence um, uh, to to feel that I I, I actually had uh, stories worth worth telling. So you you I think it's often people at that sort of age. Who, if they, if you get the right person, the right teacher, the right book, um, it can it can push you down a, a path that you then follow for the rest of your life. What do you think the most important quality you need to be a writer is? Most important trait for a writer has to be well, I suppose patience is 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 key. Patience and perseverance. Uh, you're going to get days where you sit down and you everything clicks you, you you just you just get typing away or you get scribbling um some good jokes come out or some some great scene and you, you know life is worthwhile you know you know you've done a great job there but then there are many other days where you will be sitting there struggling and the stuff that comes out isn't much good the sentences don't work you don't know how you're going to fit it into the broader picture uh and on those sort of days, you have to be be good at kind of just keeping relaxed, not worrying about it, putting all the stuff together, um, figuring it out slowly. I mean, writing a, a novel is, I think, like creating a car or something from scratch. You you're um, you would go mad if you tried to visualize the whole complexity in one one go. So you've got to be good at just building a little piece of it um, a bit by bit and slowly, slowly um, uh, putting it together. And then finally, you, you can sort of stand back and you see the full juggernaut that you've created. But um, on a day-to-day -day level, you are so close to all the cogs and bits and pieces, uh, it's quite hard to you know, believe you're going to get anywhere. So that's why I think um, uh, you know, patience and perseverance probably are the key uh, requisites of being a writer. So if you were stuck on a desert island and you only had one book for company, what would it be? <laughs> oh man uh, I'll go out of a, go on a limb here and um, uh, one possible one would be um, the 
think it was probably something like the Encyclopedia of um, British Folk Tales by Catherine Briggs, um, which I've never actually read. And I believe it's sort of like hundreds of, uh, it's, it's thousands of pages. Um, and it fundamentally has all the great um, uh, folk tales, the kind of building blocks of, um, you know, British storytelling um, in it. And I, I would, I would, that would keep me going for a long, long time. And finally, three silly questions to finish off. Simpsons or Futurama? Uh, Futurama. Genies or ghosts? Oh, now you... That's, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to have to say genies, just simply because Bartimaeus changed my life. And finally, truth or beauty? <sighs> I, <laughs> I'm going to say truth because I think um, uh, beauty is generally contained um, uh, within truth. Jonathan Stroud, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Ed. It's been a pleasure. This is Fab Radio International. Welcome back to the Bookworm, um, Fab Radio International. Uh, I'm Nympha Hayes and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Ed Fortune. Hello, everyone. Uh, We've just listened to Ed's um, fantastic interview of Mr. Jonathan Stroud. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Jonathan, for coming by. He was lovely. (laughs) Um, So, for my portion of the show, I'm reviewing today I Am Number 4 by Peter Kuzlor. This is published by The Random Penguin. (laughs) By Penguin. Um, and it's it's a young adult sci-fi. Now, um, I really want to read the back cover premise because it's so good. So if you forgive me for a minute, I'll just literally just read from the back cover. There were nine of us who escaped. Number one was killed in Malaysia. Number two was murdered in England. Number three was hunted down in Kenya. Before they come for the others, they'll come for me. I am number four. So good. Now it gives me chills every time, and the the, the story it revolves around John Smith. <laughs> Guess what? Not his real name. <laughs> you don't say. I, I, don't I, say. I do feel sorry for real John Smith. <laughs> there are loads of John Smith, I'm sure, out there. Uh, this John Smith, however, is is um, a young teenage guy who's not a teenage guy. He's actually an alien. Uh, just over a decade ago. Um, Lorien, his planet was attacked and nine children were saved from the destruction of the planet Um, these nine children were part of the warrior um, cast of the planet um, and called the guard and um, they were saved by um, as many sort of carers who are sort of watchers in a way they have a lot of knowledge and each of them takes a child to a different part of the world to keep them safe there is a charm placed on these kids to try and keep them safe Uh, as long as the kids don't come together they can only be killed in sequence so they can only kill number one then number two then number three and so forth at this point of the story, the first three numbers, the first three kids have been killed. So we're following the the story of, of number four. Um, they Basically, what they do is they, they move constantly, trying not to attract attention. And every time something goes a bit wrong, uh, they move fast, sort of erase everything that they've ever been, move to a new town and, and just fake the 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 whole existence ids uh, social security numbers everything like that and just begin anew uh, john um john's watcher or carer um henry again <laughs> not his real name um basically um spends his days haunting the the internet and the news and the the weird rags where you know alien sightings and and the boy who survived a a house of in flames blah 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 uh trying to locate and keep an eye on on anything that might suggest where the others are or where the bad guys the another race of aliens called the mogadorians uh, could be and obviously make sure that they don't get to them and that they're safe so at this point of the story john's just moving to ohio to a place called paradise with just about over 
5,000 souls in it. And he's kind of hoping that this is his chance to have a bit of a normal teenage life, go to school, maybe even make some friends. Uh, so far, they've moved over 20 times. And all this waiting for um, his legacies, special powers that the God has and that manifest at some point during the teenage years. Um, and once their legacies have manifested and they're ready, they will try and get back together and go back to their original planet um, that is basically just being sort of raised and destroyed and, and there's not much left there. Um, all they have of their planet is each each of the children of the God have a um, loric chest and each of the chests has something special inside but they can only open them when their legacies start to manifest so John starts school he meets a girl likes a girl meets a friend really cool cool friend called Sam whose father disappeared years ago and whose father was interested in in, in aliens Ooh. Uh, and, and all these conspiracy theories about aliens. Uh, and they become really good friends. And Sam's, you know, a bit of a geek, but quite cool, actually. Um, but unfortunately, things start to precipitate when John starts getting his legacies. So this is sort of the setup of the story. So what are his legacies? Are these superpowers? Yes, um, I mean, I can tell you probably his first legacy because that's within the first 50, 60 pages of the book anyways. He gets a legacy that means that his, lights, his hands light up and eventually with training he becomes fire resistant so he can't be hurt by fire. And that's just one of them, for example. It sounds like there's a lot of plot here. There is an amazing amount of plot. However, it's actually quite slow in pace it's not it, there's there's bits of it that are quite fast paced but there is a lot of world building as well and sort of getting to know the character it's from john's point of view so it's john talking and explaining what's going on in his life and his memories and and you know everything that he believes and everything that he does is is sort of seen through his eyes it's quite quite heartfelt as well it's, there's some interesting insights in the story from him um but it's 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 a lot and and there are many books in the series i think one of them has only recently come out this year as well um so i think there's about four or five out at the moment um and i really i really really enjoyed the first one um, it's it's very clearly sci-fi, you know, aliens, uh, other worlds, um, superpowers, um, you know, bad aliens trying to conquer other worlds and trying to kill these remaining kids from from Lorien because they are possibly the only salvation that the planet has if they actually manage to develop the legacies that they have. Um, super interesting. So, what sort of what sort of person would you expect to enjoy I Am Number Four? Um, if you're a young kid, I'd say, you know, if you're in about 12, 13 and you like stories about, you know, cool superpowers and aliens and, and you know, a lot of a lot of running around and a bit of action and stuff, this is definitely a good one. Um, I read it a few years back when obviously it first came out and I actually really enjoyed it. Um, so... If you like sci-fi in general and s stories about, you know, other planets and and things like that, this could be good. Um, just don't expect any action anywhere apart from Earth, at least for the first few books. And apparently it was a it was a, some sort of motion picture. I, I it was. Um, <laughs> please don't judge the book by its movie. Never judge a book by its movie. Uh, it's not a bad movie. It's okay, but. Um, it, it's not as good as the book. Um, no one watches movies. Everyone reads books, surely. <laughs> well, I, I I bought the DVD when it when it went down in price um, because I was curious to see what they'd done with it. And although I quite like the casting choices and everything, I just felt there was something missing from the story. It was more an action movie that actually the introspective story that the book is in. in the majority of it um but it is a cool movie and it's definitely you know if you want something like for a sunday afternoon entertainment and you've got some young kids there quite 
nice to watch. Does it suffer from that thing where if the book is first-person perspective, first-person narrative, the movie can't... Movies rarely pull that off very well. Yeah, it's because obviously you're missing all the emotion that's portrayed through the voice of the, of the main character. Um, so it kind of, I think... As I said, it became more of a team flick with a lot of action and big explosions as opposed to being the story of a teenage guy trying desperately to fit in and knowing that he never will and he never should anyways because his, his life is about something bigger. Um, so who's it by? What's it called and who's it on? It's I Am Number Four by Pitacus Lore, <clears throat> not actual name, Um it's very cool the way they've done that as well because the the, the little bio uh, right at the front page tells you that Pitacus Lore is a Lorian elder who was entrusted with the story of the Lorian Nine. His whereabouts are unknown. There's a, there's a very clever website that I'm currently looking at. Yes, about it. yes, it's very cool. So again, the whole the whole world that's been built around the book and within the book is definitely worth exploring. It's uh, published by Penguin, and it's available anywhere because it's been out for a few years. And so are the books subsequently in the series. So pick it up; definitely worth the read. Uh, coming up next, um, we're going to talk some more nonsense about books. So, hello, gentle listener. By the by, this is the bit where we plug the show. If you're listening to us on iTunes, please like, subscribe, comment, do that sort of thing. If you're listening to us on Mixcloud, make a comment. If you're on any social media, we're available on um, Radio Radio Bookworm. On Twitter, we're at Radio Bookworm. On, on Facebook, we're at Radio Bookworm. On Tumblr, we're Radio Bookworm. Talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely, and you know, retweet us, share us, tell us where we're pans, tell us how we can improve. Just, just you know, tell us something. We we love we love interacting with people Don't and talking tell us about that books. We're pants. Tell us that we're awesome, and then we'll listen. Um, <laughs> well, actually, you know, if you want to hear new stuff, I mean, last week we experimented with a um, dramatic module. This is a short version where we had a, a bit of a bit of a book read out to you, and some people loved it, and some people hated it. We're going to give that another go sometime soon. We're going to get some lovely voice actor friends of ours to read out bits of their favourite books, because apparently you like that sort of thing. So if there's a book that you want to hear read out, tell us, and we'll see what we can do. Um, rights being, you know, rights allowable and that sort of thing. Most most publishers tend to be quite friendly lenient about it, with yeah. that. Yeah, as long as you're not reading, you know the end of it and spoiling it for everyone else. Uh, we do a, like a 19 hour version of the bookworm where we read out <laughs> an entire novel. Um, <laughs> that, that will not go down well. No, no. I, actually, I've got the new Peter F. Hamilton on my my list of things and I swear to goodness, I almost dropped it on my foot and if I had dropped it on my foot, I would have broken my foot. It is so huge. <laughs> um, it's the next one in the Commonwealth series and I, I like Peter F. Hamilton but, you know, it's... It's like middle class people in space sometimes. It really is. It's you know t- t- terribly well to do middle class people who've who've done quite well for themselves, getting blown up in spaceships. Kind of like the appeal of that actually. Um, but yes. So what is your plan? Reading plans? Oh, I'm still reading um, Crown of Midnight, which is the second book in the. Um in the Throne of Glass series uh, and it's incredibly good unfortunately I'm only getting to it like in the evenings right before I go to bed so I get like one chapter and then that's it mm. and I'm like I don't want to go to sleep but I, go, I really really should um, and it's really 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 good um, so I'm enjoying that I've got a pile to be read like yeah. everyone else oh, yeah, in the terrible. world yeah. Yeah. it's never ending I'm actually considering whether uh, as a as a show we should maybe do like a little giveaway for our readers because I've got so many books that I'm just not getting to we, we, ha- we, yeah, we, we have been thinking about that yeah doing a little, little, a little book giveaway a little book giveaway um, for a lovely reader so I mean if you've got any ideas on any contests um, or, or any sort of initiatives that you think oh that would be cool to do and having a little prize at the end thrown at you then just by all means tweet us or Facebook us or um, tumble us <laughs> we tumble do have us. a number of uh, books that we can uh, throw in your general direction thinking about it we'll, mm. but we'll see what we can do and we'll have a word with our lovely friends in uh, publishing 
who seem to, to seem to like us for some reason. I think it's because they like books and we like books. <laughs> yeah, like everybody books. wins. But yes, so uh, blatant self-promotion to one side. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to the next bit of Hamilton. There's a whole lot of other stuff. Um, I'm currently what? reading The Mirror Empire by Cameron Hurley, mm. which is terribly exciting and very good. I mean, she won two Hugos, and there's that whole... Um, there's the whole thing of she won two Hugo's and you're like that's terribly exciting and then you read her book and you're like well actually that's terribly exciting one of the really sad things about it is uh, she's being described as a debut author it's her fifth novel seventh okay. novel but part of part of that is uh, small press published okay. part of that is because she's had problems with her publisher in the past okay. part of it is because she's a woman Yes. Uh, we don't like mm. that. I'm uh, a woman. And uh, just before we run out of time, what are we talking about on next week's show? What's coming up next week? Um, oddly enough, women in writing. So we'll be mm. reviewing The Mirror Empire. You'll be talking... Oh, I'll be talking about Wicked Lovely by Melissa Marr. And do you know what? I think we should get Robin Hobb on the show. Do you think we can get Robin Hobb on the show? If we if ask really nicely. We, if we beg on our knees. Uh, um, um, she might be available. We can we can always give it a call. Yay! Let's try and get Robin Hobb on the show. If you don't know who Robin Hobb is. Just just just, just Google, go, it. Google it. Read more. Just read Google more. it. Please just read more. <laughs> So it's goodbye from me, Ed Fortune. And goodbye from me, Nympha Hayes. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson. <laughs> <laughs>